of Solomon. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the top of the mountains, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. The grass indeed withers and the flowers do fall off, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this psalm that reminds us that you look upon the needy and the oppressed with favor, that your blood is precious, their blood is precious to you. Father, you reach down and provide for those who are of humble and a contrite heart and lift them up to the highest heavens, joint heirs with Christ in salvation, by and through the work of your mighty Spirit. Father, you truly are gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And as, ha- as we have enjoyed that great mercy in our own salvation, we pray that that mercy would sweep through our land and the lands of this earth so that truly this psalm will come to fruition in our sight, that we will see the mighty hand of God bringing men and women to salvation, providing for the poor and the needy, putting down the haughty, and lifting up the contrite of heart. This we ask in Your mighty name and for the sake of our dear Savior Jesus Christ, who gave His life a ransom for many. And amen. 
Well, brethren, as we approach the anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation, we are quickly reminded that as David's son Solomon wrote, there is nothing new under the sun. We too are in great need of Reformation. Last week, I spoke about the similarities and dissimilarities from the days of the 16th century Reformation to our day. But today, I want to emphasize one aspect of one doctrinal emphasis that John Calvin promoted during the Reformation. And that doctrine is the supremacy of Jesus Christ as King. The supremacy of Jesus Christ as King. Unlike our predecessors in the faith, we as 21st century Christians in North America have no notion of what it means to live under earthly monarchical rule. As the nations of the world have tried to copy our democratic republic under which we live, many nations have jettisoned their monarchies as well in favor of elected officials from their own ranks. Few nations have had the success that we have had, yet our success is waning as well. As we turn our attention to this psalm, it is important to notice two things that appear, one at the very beginning of the psalm and the other at the very end. First, this is a psalm of Solomon, according to the first line that we find. That portion of the psalm that precedes verse 1 is part of the original text. Thus, we believe it is inspired. Now, not all psalms contain the the name of the author, but this one does by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then, at the end of the psalm, we read this concluding statement, which is also inspired. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This statement follows the twofold amen, which is a typical conclusion to a prayer. We always conclude our prayers with amens. Thus, we have a seeming dilemma. Who's the author of these words? Is it David or Solomon? Most commentators, including Calvin, believe that the words are likely those of King David, recorded by his son Solomon, and then put to music as one of the psalms in the Psalter. The lyrics of this psalm seem to be not only a blessing for David's own son Solomon, but more importantly for the promised heir to David's throne, who will ascend to the throne and occupy it eternally before God, and that person again, our Lord Jesus Christ. This prayer was prayed by King David and became an anthem sung by all Israel. It continues to be an anthem for us today, and we are acknowledging that by singing it through the, through the entirety of our worship service today. Well, I want to point out three great themes that are encapsulated in this psalm. First, justice shall flow from the righteousness of the king, reaching to the widow, the oppressed, and the poor, and crushing the oppressors. Now that's a long sentence for the first notion, but I want us to to give thought to that. Second, I want us to give thought to the righteous king's dominion, which shall fill, be filled with the bounty of God's blessing. The domain of Christ will be filled 
with the bounty of God's blessing. And then lastly, the righteous king's dominion shall engulf the earth. The righteous king's dominion shall engulf the earth. So let us begin by looking at the justice which flows from the righteous king. I'm going to contrast that to our own nation. Our nation has lost its moorings when we call good evil and evil good. The prophet Isaiah speaks about a land being cursed because of doing that very thing. Calling good evil and evil good. Brethren, those who name the name of Christ, we are becoming the criminals in our society. While those embracing the most perverse sins are being heralded as the epitome of all that is good. We have done the very thing Isaiah warns against. But true biblical justice has been jettisoned for aberrant judicial decisions. Justice has become a buzzword to protect the imposition of one's own liberty regardless of how evil that so-called liberty may be. Justice is not tied to righteousness as in the Scriptures. Rather, in our day, the notion of justice has become the protectorate of vice. The very notion of justice has become the protectorate of vice. Brethren, King David knew what true justice was and is. Though he did not always practice it, Often, David did practice justice and understood that justice is inextricably tied to righteousness. And his prayer today says that very thing. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. This is reiterated again in the psalm in verses 12-15. through For He will deliver the needy when He cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight, and he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. Brethren, from God's righteousness springs justice. From God's righteousness springs justice. Give the king your judgment, David prays, and your righteousness to the king's son. Mankind cannot know, understand, or practice justice without first knowing God's righteousness. What then is God's righteousness? Isn't it God's revealed law word? Can it only be found in His special revelation, or can it be found in general revelation? The Scriptures teach us 
that it can only be known in its particulars in God's special revelation, the Bible. And we know how our Lord refers to God's Word. Jesus said of God's Word, Thy Word is truth. Now notice in our text that the beneficiaries of the justice spoken of in verse 2 are the poor and the oppressed. God's compassion for the poor, for the oppressed, for the widowed and the orphaned cannot be overstated. James tells us that true religion is to provide for the widow and the orphan. That's what true religion is. David speaks of that same kind of commitment here. God looks upon the widowed, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed with great concern. And His wrath, according to the Scriptures, is poured out on those who oppress these folks. Verse 4. But His loving kindness flows to those in need. So from the greatest the king that is mentioned here in verse 1, to the least of the society, those who embrace God's righteousness shall know and see justice. And this brings us to our second observation. Bounty follows God's righteousness. When God's righteousness is practiced by the king, God's bounty flows to those in the king's domain. Let me say that again. When God's righteousness is practiced by the king, God's bounty flows to those in the king's domain. It is my observation that we often forget this connection. Nevertheless, it is abundantly true in the Scriptures. In verse 16 of our text, David reminds us in his prayer that bounty flows toward the righteous. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. Brethren, this should be no surprise to us. Throughout the Scriptures, we see numerous examples of this both didactic examples as well as pedagogic. Just three didactic examples are found in Deuteronomy 7.12 and following, as well as chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, beginning in verse 1 and following, as well as Malachi chapter 3, verses 6-10. through God tells us that those who are righteous, those who embrace God's righteousness, become the objects of His blessing. And consider also the pedagogic examples in the lives of Job, Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, just to mention a few. These men who followed after righteousness were blessed by God. Those who follow God in righteousness live in His blessings. He bestows those blessings by and through His covenant promises. And those men that I've just mentioned all exhibited those blessings in their lives. His righteousness will become more and more evident throughout the earth as His people embrace that righteousness and God blesses them. And this brings us to the third 
portion of our passage that I want us to consider. One cannot escape David's observation that the righteous king's domain will eventually blanket the earth, both in time and space. Consider the expanse of the king's domain at the time David recounts this in his prayer. Verse 5, They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout the generations. So how long will God be feared? Throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish and, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. When does the moon end? Yet God's abundance and the righteous flourishing and his peace will last until that day. Then in verse 17, His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. His name shall endure forever and shall continue as long as the sun. When will that come to an end? I don't think we know. But not only shall the righteous king's domain cover all time, which all these previous references spoke of, it shall cover the expanse of the earth. Verse 3, The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. Verse 4, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before Him, and His enemies will lick the dust. Verse 14, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before Him. All nations shall serve Him. And then verse 17, His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. Quote, all nations shall call him blessed. End quote. So the domain of our righteous Lord, Jesus Christ, covers all time and all space. From generation to generation, until the sun and moon are no more, from the mountaintops and the little hills, from sea to sea, from the rivers to the end of the earth, and from the wilderness, from all the nations of the Gentiles, our Lord Jesus reigns. His kingdom shall advance, and His justice shall prevail in all time and in all places. These truths are not unique to David's prayer in Psalm 72. The prophets of old prophesied these very things as well. We're coming up to the Advent season, one of the most precious passages that speak about Christ's Advent. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know it well. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, 
Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Some might object and say, where is the evidence of these things, Pastor Hickey? Where is the mighty hand of God and His righteous judgments? Aren't the wicked winning the day and the righteous being oppressed? I would admit that in our day, from a provincial perspective, it appears that God's description in Psalm 72 and Isaiah 9 seem to be illusions. But let's remind ourselves of some history. Can we even count the number of tyrannical kings and tyrannical empires throughout history that God has raised up and put down? Can we even count them? We would be hard-pressed to count them from the last century, let alone the last 20 centuries. Evil men and regimes that have oppressed the kingdom of God since its founding have also been judged into extinction. And in the midst of this plethora of examples, I'll just name a few, Nazi Germany, Communist Russia, uh, what about the Mongol hordes of the the uh, uh, centuries in uh, the Middle Ages that were raised up and put down. I'll even speak about Islam, how it rises and falls uh, by God's mighty hand over the years. Uh, The numbers are everywhere. What about Pol Pot of Cambodia? Most Many of you young people probably have never even heard of the man, and yet he killed millions. And in the midst of this plethora of examples, what kingdom has remained? Yea, even grown and continues to grow throughout the history of mankind. Which kingdom is that that remains for the past 2,000 years and continues to grow? Is it not the kingdom of God that numbered a mere 120 persons at Pentecost? Read Acts chapter 1 and now likely numbers at least a billion people 2,000 years later. Is Jesus' government and peace increasing without end? I, for one, say it is. I would also admit the church is waning in our country, but it is flourishing in other lands. God prunes the vine that His church may bear more fruit. Such is the case with His church in North America. We are being pruned. And for good reason. We have not been faithful to our God. Now brethren, pruning is painful. It requires cutting and engrafting. These are not pleasant circumstances, but they are necessary 
for the church to flourish and bear fruit. Without God's cutting and engrafting, the kingdom shall not flourish. And it is God's word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that is doing the pruning. So what does this have to do with the Reformation? I think I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it. As great as the 16th century Reformation was, brethren, I believe it shall pale in comparison to the Reformation that is yet before us. I believe in Psalm 72's description of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that we see a reformation on the horizon. I believe in the prophecies in Isaiah 9 as well as all the prophets of the Old Testament. I also believe that God does not change according to Malachi's prophecy and therefore He shall come close to us in judgment like launderer's soap and a refiner's fire. And according to Malachi, he will judge against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear God, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3.5 Furthermore, I believe because our Lord does not change, when he promises that The sons of Jacob shall not be consumed. Verse 6 of Malachi 3. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying that is to be believed. God will protect us. Next week we're going to sing about that. From Psalm 46, the great hymn of the Reformation, a mighty fortress is our God. But God has also taught us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught of the church. We shall storm those gates, they will be broken down, and we will pillage Satan's kingdom. That is the work of the Gospel. Reformation came in the 16th century, and for that we are blessed. But that Reformation will pale in comparison to the Reformation that is yet before us. When the glory of the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the seas, then we shall truly be blessed. I admonish you, brethren, pray as King David prayed for the fullness of God's Reformation in His people and on earth. Let us pray together.